I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Hey, how you doing, podcats? Adam Buxton here. Now, you may be able to tell using your ears that myself and Rosie are not where we would normally be recording an intro for the podcast. We've come to the beach because I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and he said, oh, I went swimming at Waxham Beach on the Norfolk coast and uh, it doesn't have any facilities I said, I really recommend it. There's usually very few people there. And I thought, ooh, that sounds good. I wouldn't mind going for a swim in the sea. Because, you know, swimming in the sea, especially for an English person, I think. Forgive me for generalizing, but it's a special thing. Reconnects you with the sea. Anyway, so myself and Rosie got in the hot car and the air conditioning was knackered, so we wound down the windows, put on an old compilation with some Outcast and some Silver Jews and some... Actually, there was a track by Dogs Die in Hot Cars there and I was worried Rosie might find it a bit offensive, especially as she was sat down in the well where your feet go in the, on the passenger side and it couldn't have been comfortable <laughs> she was looking at me every now and again with an expression that I can only imagine meant this is a nightmare when's it going to end luckily it was not a long drive and now here we are and we're not here for very long because I have to go and pick up my daughter from school from her socially distanced mini school bubble but I thought I just wanted to... I wanted to see the sea. I wanted to get in the sea. And that's what we just did. And Rosie came with me and we swam for 15 seconds or something. Not very long. But we were joined by a couple of seals. I'm looking at them right now. Are they seals? I thought they were sea lions at first. I'm not very familiar with um, sea fauna. I think they're seals. And they stuck their heads above the water and they started swimming towards us. And I got a bit nervous because I wasn't sure, like, do seals get angry with people? They have every right to after the way they've been treated. But they're having a good time. They seem very happy and they're having a nice afternoon. Gambling in the surf. Anyway, we didn't want to uh, antagonize them, so we got out. I tried to Google, can you swim with seals? But there was no signal, so I thought, oh well, best play it safe. So we're sat on the beach by some rocks now, just enjoying a sunny day. Well, I suppose this is a bit of an unusual episode of the podcast. Uh, It's with Joe Cornish, my old friend, top director. And we talked about TV 
specifically a show that Joe recommended that I watch towards the beginning of the lockdown. And then we talked about what's been happening with me the last few weeks, which I'm sad to say has been that my mum died. Um, At the end of the last podcast, I was saying that I was going to take some time out to look after her. And um, anyway, unexpectedly, that didn't work out. And it was a shock and it's been very sad. But my conversation with Joe is not exclusively sad, I'm happy to say. And that's the reason I wanted to talk to him, really, was just to talk to someone friendly and hopefully stop me getting too maudlin. Anyway, I thought I should fill you in before the conversation a little bit. Well, look, Rose, we should go, because I've got to go and pick up my daughter. But for the time being, from us out here on the beach with the seals in beautiful, minimal Wexham, we bid you farewell. And let's hand over to me speaking a few weeks back in early June 2020 via a remote link-up to Joe Cornball's Cornish. Here we go. good in the kitchen a lot of reflective pots and pans i should have sent you a mic cover yeah one of these because i heard you complaining about your sibilant tones on a movie podcast yeah i got a lot of kickback for that because people thought that louis had complained about the free microphones you'd sent out as well and so a lot of people accused louis and i of piling onto you in an ungenerous <laughs> fashion when you'd so generously given us both mics, free mics. That's good. I'm glad. How wonderful to be the beneficiary of a pylon rather than the subject of it. No, that's ludicrous. Obviously, it was nothing to do with the mics. Evidently, the mic was completely fine for Louis, and I'm sure it was for you. It sounded great when we did the audiobook. I think the reason it sounded sibilant for the guys you did that movie podcast with was that they recorded the zoom feed so it was quite compressed Mm. so Mm. that was Mm -hmm. that was maybe something that they Mm. needed to pay a little bit more attention Mm. to their end but i don't want to start a pile on piling onto them it's like the last five minutes of what was that game show with all the kids in the swimming pool in the 70s remember that um run around we are the champions it's a knockout we are the champions we are the champions how did the theme from We Are The Champions go? We are the champions. We are the champions. Fuck off. Didn't say fuck off. That was the late night version of it. It's a very good theme tune. It was sort of non-musical. It was just chanting in a playground manner. Do you remember it? Sort of. It always seemed a little bit too rough for me. It was very rough. And at the end, there was a brilliant bit in the swimming pool with inflatables. And it was supposed to be a fun competition for school kids, but it was very competitive. 
And you could yeah. sense this undercurrent of like brutal, vicious sort of playground hierarchy going on and interschool rivalry. It was in the 70s when... Yeah, well, it was a sport guy show. Yeah, there were lots of like broken bottles just off camera <laughs> and shivs <laughs> in the back pockets of jeans. I'm surprised that you were watching it. Do you know what a shiv is? Sure, it's well, we're going to be talking about prisons later on. Are we? Great. Yeah, when I was in prison, one of the first things I learned was how to make a shiv. What was your shiv made out of? It started off with pointed words, and then yeah. I used a whittled toothbrush. What was your sharpest word? Um, well, it was a phrase. Was it? And it was shame on you. Oh, that is bad. Oh, that's particularly aggressive in a context of a prison. How would you say it? Shame on you. Really? Oh. Shame on you. Like that. Shame on you. You didn't go for the French accent. No, like how? Shame on you. Like that. Why is that better? It's just vicious because it's more sophisticated. What's the French for shame on you? It's probably, if, you if you said it in the original French. Je t'en peux. <laughs> Je t'en peux. Je t'en peux. It's colloquial. Poupou sous la tête. Shame on you in French. Because that would be good to know when I, if I have to go back into prison. Honte à toi. What were you in prison for? I was in prison for being dangerously funny. Right. <laughs> You're just leaving it at right, are you? Yeah. No, that's entirely possible. What, uh, I'm interested in what you made a shiv out of. Well, I've never been to prison. Like no. you, no. But if I did go to prison, I would probably fashion a shiv out of one of my nails. Do you know sometimes when you see guitar players or even just celebrities in the 70s, they've sometimes got a kind of a cocaine fingernail. Is that what it is? Like one yes. very long fingernail. Do you notice that? Yeah. When I'm in prison, I'm going <laughs> to have a very long fingernail. Yeah, because then you could whittle it into the shape of uh, a key. Yes. Well, that would be the other fingernail. Basically, a bit like a Swiss army knife, but on my fingers. Mm -hmm. One would be a nail file. <laughs> I just rough down the uh, surface of one of my fingernails. As you say, the other would be a key, but like a skeleton key. Yeah. That could get into any lock. The next one would be toothpick. Toothpick. And then the other would be just a little hook shape to clean out the dirt from under my nails. And uh, what about the one for getting stones out of horses' hooves? That will be on my left hand. So when Cornish came at you with his long fingers <laughs> undulating, you wouldn't know what you were going to get. Were you going to get a handicure? Is that what they call it? A manicure? Or are you going to get shivved up in the house, in the neck, in the prison? Or is Cornish just going to open your beer for you? Yes. Or is he just going to file your nails or get the stone out of your horse's shoe? If you grew your thumbnail really long and wide, mm. then you could implant a magnifying disc in the middle to, for, for the magnifying glass, right? You could cut <laughs> out the centre of a lens from a pair of specs. What, to focus the sun and burn through something? Sure, or just for reading. Oh, for reading. I mean, reading. whatever you would use the magnifying glass I on a see. Swiss Army knife for. Well, I think you're right, but if you just highly polished one of your overgrown fingernails to... And you could probably sculpt it so it operated as a lens. <laughs> but this yeah. is a really very good idea because you could, you'd hide it from the, the screws. 
That's a bit of prison terminology. You probably know having having served time. So anyway, yeah, but you could just clench your fist and hide and hide your nails. Yeah, (laughs) or you could wear finger puppets. There's Joey. There's Joey Longshanks, the finger puppet guy. Don't mess with him. I'm gonna finger puppet you. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> the guards are just charmed by the finger puppets. Yeah. Whenever they whenever they get suspicious about them, you go, oh, hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> and there's little chats between the finger puppets. Any of you guys thought to look underneath those goddamn finger puppets that inmate Cornish charms everybody with? That's how the guy from Finger Bobs got through his prison time. Yoffy. Yoffy. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Yoffie survived in the in the slammer. Do you know that expression, slammer? You probably do, because you've served time. You know all the slingo, slammer and screws. We used to call it the big house. <laughs> in that intonation. Yeah. The big house? Yeah. The big house? Because it's like a big house uh-huh. and lots of bedrooms. It's very valuable real estate. Yes, you can cater for many guests. Is this because you've been watching Escape from Danamora? Yes. It's good, isn't it? Well, I want to talk to you because yeah. I'm not going to give you a unqualified yes. Oh. Should we tell the listeners what this is? Yeah, go on, set it up. It's a limited series directed by Ben Stiller, starring Paul Dano and Benicio del Toro and Patricia Arquette, based yes. on a true story about a couple of dudes that escape from a high security prison in America. Escape at Danamora. The inmates Richard Matt and David Sweat escaped from the Clinton Correctional Facility, maximum security prison, in 2015. A true story, this is. And it turned out they were aided by Tilly Mitchell, an employee at Clinton Correctional Facility, who became romantically entangled with both Mm. convicts. Don't want to give away too much. No, I suppose tread carefully if you're worried about spoilers. We'll try and keep the spoiler situation under control, but I don't want to be hauled over the coals if we do let something slip. So you recommended this to me, Escape Mm. at Danamora. And when did this series come out? (laughs) A couple of years ago, wasn't it? I don't know. People have been talking about it for a while. I just got around to to watching it not that long ago. I think it was 2018. And... um, yeah, Ben Stiller directed it. Eight episodes, or seven episodes, but the last one is two hours. So I think that's it. Is it? Yep. And as you said to me in your email, it's very cinematic, mm. beautifully shot. Thank you. Good score. Thanks, man. <laughs> You're saying thanks just because you... Uh... <laughs> well, I, I like approve of it, so it's as if... All right. It's, it's, oh my, so this is, is me approving of you it. and you feel yeah. approved of. Yeah, that's thanks, great. man. Yeah, you're you're welcome. Oh, come on, take it easy. (laughs) Don't overdo it. But you did give me a slight caveat in your email. Oh, God. Slow burn, you said. Yeah, slow burn. What did you mean by that? Uh, Well, you know what slow burn means. Boring? It means you have to invest. You have to take your time and really focus on it. Did you find it it was a bit much for you? I don't know. I mean... This is going to be a strange conversation tonally, perhaps, because it comes at a very sad time for me and for my family. You know, my mum died recently. And, you know, I feel kind of mad Mm. in respect to that. So it's sort of tainted 
all my experiences around that really and everything I've done in the last few weeks has been affected by that one way or another so it's hard to judge to what extent that has affected my enjoyment of Escape at Danamora. My big problem though is that I've never quite understood the true crime genre, the allure of true crime. You know what I mean? I just find it a bit depressing. These two guys, and they do deal with it in the show, but they were extremely violent criminals. Yeah. And they'd done some pretty appalling, horrible things. They weren't nice. You weren't really supposed to root for them. And even Tilly Mitchell, played by Patricia Arquette, is a character who certainly the way she's portrayed brilliantly is, to say the least, what's the word? Unappealing. (laughs) Yeah, it is unappealing. She's a very complicated, conflicted Mm. character, part victim, part perpetrator, part manipulator, part manipulated. It's a complex portrayal. But I don't think any single person in the whole show is what you would call straightforwardly sympathetic. Yeah. And I really miss that. You want a good old goodie. I want a goodie. I want someone, especially from a prison drama, Mm -hmm. you want someone who is in there, but they're innocent. Right. They didn't done it, and you want them to get out, and you want them to be successful in the escape. Like, you know, in the olden days... That was the model for the prison escape drama, Mm. Escape from Alcatraz, Papillon, The Great Escape, things like that were all pretty straightforward. They were true stories, but they were either falsely accused or they hadn't done anything that Mm. bad, depending on your point of view. Yeah. And, you know, you you could root for them and you could feel straightforwardly sympathetic towards them. And sometimes they, I mean, spoiler for Escape from Alcatraz... He gets out, right, I think. I mean, there's a question as to whether they actually survived, whether they were able to swim across the water to land. No one ever found out whether they survived or not, but they mm. certainly got out and were never found. So that's quite good. You know, I, I, I like those ones. Well, fair enough, man. Then I can see why you didn't enjoy it. Well, there's some nice people. Now, look, yeah. I didn't say I didn't enjoy it. It was highly entertaining, and the rest of the family really enjoyed it. I mean, I only watched it with my beautiful wife and my eldest. I don't think it would have been appropriate for the others. Yeah, there's a lot of grotty, (laughs) slappy sex in it. It really is. There's a lot of very good grotty sex in cupboards. There's so much grotty because that sex was very suspenseful for me because uh, (laughs) it just seemed like they would really get caught the whole time. That did stretch belief slightly, but I enjoyed the looks on their faces while they were having their grotty fondles. Grotty sex in the cupboard. Yeah. Grotty sex in the it. bushes there was. Do you remember the yeah. grotty sex oh, in the yeah, bushes? Oh, yeah, completely on view to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. One of this our workmates so looks though. over this and just sort of shakes her head. Yeah. That's not spoilery. That doesn't affect the actual plot, I don't think. That's true. That's a selling point. But look, I certainly <laughs> agree with you that it's extremely morally gray i like the tone of it i I thought everything was slightly over the top and exaggerated you know benicia del toro's i don't know whether it's that particular show but he's become quite a fascinating looking man he looks sort of weirdly glamorous and feminine 
whilst also very sort of gruff and masculine, there's a slight sort of campness to his performance in that. Mm -hmm. And Dano is so kind of uh, anxious. And then the art that he paints, and it's so terrible, and everyone thinks it's so amazing, you know, the puppies. Like, it's all sort of weirdly grotesque. Yeah, the two, both inmates were quite good at painting, right? Yeah. So they paint, yes, as you say, they paint these fairly tacky pictures (laughs) of real people, some of them, like, there's a portrait of Hillary Clinton that one of them paints, which is really quite good. Yeah. And then what about the very final shot? Over the closing credits, they show you the real art that the real criminal did. And the final shot is this picture of a cat he did as an apology to someone. It's this kitten crying. It's a kitten crying with With a rose and it says, A sign saying, I'm sorry. But the look in the kitten's eyes are as if it's just mass murdered a hundred people. It's a really sinister drawing. I liked it, man. I thought it was really good because I don't. I'm not. I'm not into that. You know, you watch much more episodic TV than I do. Right. I don't watch much at all, and for some reason, I committed to this. You know, I've got to confess, I've never seen Breaking Bad or The Sopranos or Twenty Four. I never watched any of those things because I was so obsessed with watching films, things that ended. You know. Yes. So maybe I'm just a, a novice, and, a, and 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 it's the sort of thrill of the new for me. But I really enjoyed it. I found it really gripping. No, it's definitely good, no doubt. And then just the the heinousness of the stuff that Benicio Del Toro's character does when you get round to learning about it. Holy shit. I found that very powerful, the the fact that it had got me to care and I don't know whether I really should have, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. All that worked extremely well. Dramatically, I thought. It was very interesting dramatically, I thought. (laughs) But it just bummed me out. Yeah. I should have recommended something more upbeat. They're all murderers in Shawshank, aren't they? Uh, Andy Dufresne is not a murderer. But there's lots of very sympathetic characters who are. But in Shawshank, they sort of gloss over it. I don't know. I haven't seen that movie for years. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think they're sort of careful about um, exactly how murdery they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit of light murdering. <laughs> reasonable murder reasonable murder justifiable murder the thing though that has been cheering me up was grayson perry's art club oh have you watched that i haven't seen that no is that on telly yeah it's finished now but i guess you can sky plus it or find it through your tv provider i don't Mm. know but if you can if you are able to i would recommend it my friend louise who is the um person who kind of organizes the bug shows that i do she's produces them all is brilliant and she said have you been watching grace and perry's art club i think you'd love it and you should have been invited on it so i was like oh what's she talking about it and so i checked it out and it, you know who grace and perry is obviously yes. right turner prize winning artist brilliant maker of pottery and all sorts of other artworks, but mainly kind of sculptural artworks, I would say. And he is very watchably great and sympathetic and eccentric and lovable and open-minded and thoughtful. And, I mean, you know, he's like the perfect guy. Probably he'll get cancelled now for something terrible, but I hope not. And he hosts this show with him in lockdown, and it's him and his partner, and she's also an artist and seems very nice. And they've rigged the whole house with remotely controlled HD cameras. 
so there's no crew in there. It's a lockdown show. It's a lockdown show, but it's really nicely done. It's the best sort of lockdown show I've seen by quite a long way. And then they have remote hookups with mainly comedians. I thought you were going to say prostitutes. No, they don't. And also you're supposed to say sex workers. No. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, they have remote hookups with mainly comedians, so... They had Jessica Hines was on there. They had Jim Moyer, you know, Vic Reeves. They had uh, Lolly Adafope. They had Joe Lysett. And they were giving them tasks. It was a bit like when we used to do Text the Nation or Song Wars. You know, mm. we'd, we'd have a theme. So he has a theme every week, like the view from your window or fantasies or something like that. And then people send in artwork and he shows some of the ones that he likes a bit like the gallery from vision on when we were little and then the uh, celebrity artists do their stuff and actually they were all pretty good having some licorice all sorts yeah a bit noisy which one did you have am i right in saying you know the actual names of all the licorice all sorts no someone told me that adam buxton knows the true because they're an italian confection Adam Buxton knows all the... I'm just making it up, hoping you'll play along. I will play along then. (laughs) Yes, that's correct. I do, yes. Now show me one. So that, you're holding up a square with three layers. Bottom layer brown, middle layer black, top layer white. What's that one called? That is called the iced shit sandwich. Oh, I thought it was the Sancho Panza. I thought they were sort of flamboyant Italian names. What about this one? The yellow circle with the black centre. That is called despair. <laughs> mm. I'm not going to do the whole packet. Oh, I was just limbering up. I was really? feeling bad about going for shit sandwich straight <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> when you went for Sancho Pants. What about the pure licorice log? The pure licorice log. Oh, that mm. looks like something from Chernobyl. That's the fuel rod. The fuel rod. Doesn't sound very Italian. Chernobyl. I don't really like the pure licorice ones. Chernobyl. 14 BAFTA nominations. Really? Did it win any? I don't know. I don't think they've happened yet, have they? BAFTAs? Oh, no. Maybe you're right. Yeah, they just did the nominations, didn't they? So I'm having a all sort repeat on me. So anyway. Mm. Grace and Perry's. Grace and Perry. Grayson Perry's Art Club sounds great. I did see a bit of it. You're reminding me. I saw the end of the one with Joe Lysett in it. But as soon as I saw that it was lockdown, that there was someone on Zoom in it, mm-hmm. I switched it off. Yeah, zoomed out. And I, I, I should have committed, but I'm so fed up of just rubbish quality, you know, yeah. people in their front rooms. I agree. Can't handle it anymore. 100%. It but I'm sure depressing. he thought of a good way to do it. Yeah, because it wasn't rubbish quality because the cameras they'd installed in the house were top notch. So it was yep. really nicely filmed. And the hookups with the the remote hookups with the comedians, it, you know, it, it didn't take up very much time. So you only got a, a small amount of low quality zoom footage mm. and it was very dealable with. I liked it a lot. I guess these uh, restrictions have been in place long enough now for hopefully the smart inventive people to come up with formats that actually do clever things with it and that sounds like it could be one of them yeah because i don't think was that a show he used to do before the lockdown yeah yeah 
I don't know. I don't rightly know, Mr Buxton, sir. I'm not sure, but I think Grace and Perry's art club might have been created for the lockdown. Hmm. But hey, how are you doing, man? How are you feeling? What's the weather like in your head? Uh, do you want glib answer or real answer? Real answer? Whichever you feel most comfortable in giving me. Right. Not that good. Oh. I have to be honest. And actually... It seems to have coincided, actually, with the real weather taking a bit of a downturn. But no, I mean, the thing is that my mum died very unexpectedly. Mm. And I was totally sideswiped by it. She was already ill. She had been ill for a few years. She got cancer a few years ago. But we thought she'd kind of got on top of it. And it was being dealt with and treated successfully and managed by the wonderful NHS. And then the thing is that during the lockdown, I think she really deteriorated, but she didn't let on. She was old school trooper, Mm. you know, and just would insist that she was fine and stop fussing and all that kind of thing to the point of getting quite irritated if I pressed the point, you know Mm. what I mean? And would, would sort of threaten to hang up on me if I kept on asking if she was okay. But then eventually I just got worried. So, you know, there were lots of twists and turns. But long story short, I was worried enough about her that I felt that I had to go and pick her up Mm. from her home. How far away from you did she live? She's down in Reading, so about three hours away. Okay. But when I picked her up, she was in bad shape. So we more or less took her straight to hospital. But I thought she was just run down and she hadn't been looking after herself properly. So I hoped that she would rally and and make a recovery and just we'd be able to look after her and get her back up to speed you know and she was discharged from hospital after three days but the second night she was back with us she died and it was quite bad I mean it was obviously bad but it was really bad because I didn't expect it and I didn't know she was that fragile and that ill and so I was left obviously shocked and bereft in every sort of way but also just feeling like shit I didn't help (laughs) one of the things I thought was you know I said at the end of the last podcast that I put out oh I'm going to take a break for a a few weeks because my mum is with us she's not very well but I'll be back soon you know (laughs) And, and it sort of crossed my mind like god this doesn't look very good and you know I immediately killed my mum basically I picked her up and next podcast it'll be me saying yeah some of you are wondering perhaps how my mum's doing she died I I, I don't think her. anybody would see it like that I don't obviously think <laughs> but it did sort of cross my mind like oh I I killed her no I think it's amazing how you know proactive you are with your mum and dad or you were with your mum and dad yeah and it, uh, lovely for them to be able to both be with you at that time. I think something pretty unusual about that, you know, obviously not a good thing to happen, but comparatively speaking, lots of good things about being where they were, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, I keep telling myself, I keep imagining how I would have felt if she'd been found, mm. you know, in her place alone. And I hadn't been there or I hadn't tried to 
go and get her, and I would have felt much worse about that. But I just felt totally useless. You know, I just wish that I'd been able to go full action stations and, and made her more comfortable, and I don't know, all this kind of thing. It's never ideal, I suppose. But it's certainly harder when it's unexpected. Like, my dad was with us for nearly nine months or something. Mm. And we knew what the prognosis was with him. And he was quite a bit older. You know, my mum was 81. My dad was 92 or something. I just had it in my head that we were going to have another chapter. She was going to be with us. And, you know, it would have been stressful, her living with us, I'm sure. But there would have been a few more moments and she perhaps, I don't know, maybe I'm fooling myself, but I sort of thought more than my dad, she might have been uh, up for a bit of um, touchy-feely closure. Hmm. That's not a nice phrase, I don't think. I regret using that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> but she would have been up for something, uh, you know, because my dad was kind of a grumpy old guy. Hmm. Looking back on it, he was never really going to be doing the kind of heart-to-heart chats on the deathbed thing. And my mum struggled with her memory and her mental health had sort of deteriorated a little bit. So maybe that was beyond her too. But, you know, when I got back um, from her place, I, I we had the funeral yesterday and um, I picked up some bits and pieces from her house down in Reading and brought them back here. And one the main things I picked up were her personal effects you know, now we got to do all the this, all the admin and the probate and all that mm. stuff to go through. But I also picked up a load of her photographs and things like that because I'd begun already during the lockdown the process of archiving my own videotapes and things like that, a job that I had wanted to do for years but never had found the time. And I just thought, okay, here we go. I'm at home all the time now. I can do this. So I started archiving all my tapes. And then when mum died, I started going through some of my dad's boxes of photographs, which I so far had never got round to going through because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of 35 millimeter slides that he took over his 90 years. He was a good photographer, but I had never been able to face going through them. Anyway, when mum died, I wanted to find more photographs of her when she was younger. And so I started going through my dad's photos as well. And that turned into a real epic journey down that rabbit hole of the past and and my childhood and her childhood, his childhood. And oh, my God, it was epic. And now I've got all her slides as well. And I've only looked at a few of them so far. But immediately it's funny that the, the, the thing that jumps out is that the vast majority of my dad's slides are of landscapes and big wide vistas and buildings not many people and if they are people there they're they're generally crowds but all my mum's photographs are are close-up shots of people and portraits and people having fun you know which i think sort of probably says quite a bit about them not everything you know and there were exceptions my dad took lots of really lovely photographs of us when we were children and of my mum. But I don't know. I don't know about how good it is for the old mental health to be going on the archiving mission. I'm going to talk to a therapist next week mm. for the first time. I finally, I've, I've often thought about, shit, maybe I should do it, especially 
now that I'm looking down the barrel of middle age and midlife crises and all that stuff. You are talking to Dr. Fisher Verlag right now. Well, I You are talking to a trained therapist. (laughs) Remind me who Dr. Fisher Verlag was? I don't know. I found him on the flyleaf of some book about Freud. I think he was some, I don't know. He is a guy. (laughs) But I just just randomly found him in some book. And we all we all thought I I thought you'd made him up because Fisher Verlag <laughs> just sounded like a made up name. I'm probably mispronouncing it. <laughs> Fisher Verlag. <laughs> and Joe always used to say, "I'm talking to you now, listeners." Joe, <laughs> am I right in saying that when emotional matters were sometimes discussed, you would turn into Doctor Fisher? Yes. Verlag? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Here he is, <laughs> Fisher Verlag, giving advice in a German accent. Yeah. Advice is always better in a German accent. But that's a good idea, man. I've done that. I've I had a bit of therapy. Oh, yeah? I liked it a lot, yeah. Did you get some answers out of it? I found that you tend to know the answers already. But it's extremely liberating to be able to say anything you want to somebody who you don't really know. And you know it'll be in strict confidence. And they're very good at asking you questions back that make you think about things clearly and not get tangled up in stuff. I found that very useful. I found cognitive behavior therapy very useful. Don't know whether you know or have done, read anything about that. I remember Louis talking about that, CBT, and saying that was useful. Really good, yeah. It's, and you can basically get into that just by reading about it. That was very useful. And meditation I found very useful. Just in terms of viewing your mind as a sort of organ that can sometimes deceive and be destructive to you Mm -hmm. and your thoughts are something that aren't necessarily uh, of you, but they're not really you. Do you know what I mean? And getting some distance from the crazy big top circus of your brain. But yeah, so that sounds good, man. But I'm so, so sorry. That's so sad. And she was a very elegant and lovely woman. So, yeah, it's awful. Thanks, man. And and as usual, you know, thanks for your sympathy. And as usual, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to. And, you know, it's particularly because your dad's funeral was such a lovely event. Uh, with so many of us getting together, right? So yeah. many friends. And it was such a memorable and good time. So it's a great shame that that can't happen again. Well, it will. It will. Good. I was going to say that one of the nicest letters I got was from your mum. <laughs> what does my mum write to you? She wrote you something when your dad died, right, that was very important. And she, I don't know what she wrote. Don't tell me. I don't want to know, but it's very intriguing. She's got some sort of magic. Yeah, it's a sort of kind, formal directness. She just pitches it exactly right. Not too mushy, not too profound, not too bossy. It's just, it's mm. just what you want to hear. So listen, what what would this is a weird question, but what would you say? Because there'll be a lot of people, like if you put this out, there'll be a lot of people listening, who are sort of in my position where their parents are still alive, but yeah. you know what's happened to you is eventually going to happen, and obviously it's a very unpredictable scenario, isn't it? <laughs> like um, it can happen clearly in so many different ways. Like like you've had two very different experiences, one quite protracted. And the other sounds quite sudden and sort of, um, you know, caught you by surprise. Yeah. 
and it maybe it's too early to ask you this, but what would you say to people for whom that hasn't happened yet about their relationships with their parents? Because again, a lot of people might have, because you're right, particularly maybe it's just our generation, but that thing of pride, and I can see it happening mm-hmm. to me when I get older, that you just don't want to admit that you can or can't do certain things, right? Whether it's physically or mentally. Yes. And being told you can't do certain things must be so insulting not insulting, but um, you just don't want to be reminded of the sort of biological reality of deterioration, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. connected to self-esteem and sense of your self-importance. And so it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? And and also you talk very well about, you know, wanting to have like sort of um, emotionally resonant, cathartic moments with your parents, but often they're not that keen to do that. No, they come up very seldom as far as I can tell. I don't know how, what the best way of doing that is. I think you lay the groundwork as you go along. That's what I'm sort of trying to do, if anything, with my own children. You know, it was important to me that they came to the funeral yesterday. And incidentally, you know, we, we had to have the social distancing funeral and it was a, a very restricted and small group of family members that were there. So it was very functional. Was that weird? Yeah, but it wasn't too bad, actually, because it can be pretty exhausting, that um, business of seeing people you haven't seen for many years who are kind enough to show up, maybe meeting people for the first time, distant relatives or friends of, of the person that you'd never met before. And, you know, that's hard. I mean, we've established before, you and I, that parties are stressful mm. and... This is another kind of social situation that is stressful and exhausting and having to have these conversations Mm. over and over again and wanting to say the right thing and say something inspiring or I don't know what. And it's hard. So that didn't happen. And I was I was sort of grateful for that. As far as being able to remember her and celebrate her life, I hope that's going to happen later. The plan is for us to have a, a memorial service when things are somewhat back to normal Mm. and we can actually go into a church again you know we couldn't go into the church yesterday and so because she left quite detailed instructions about how she wanted her funeral to go and uh you know she had a poem t.s Eliot, the section of the wasteland she wanted us to read and and she had some music and some hymns and she said she wanted someone to make a speech that would make everyone laugh oh so hopefully that's going to happen still But as to your question of what advice I would have for other people, I mean, I'm in the middle of the point right now where I feel as if I've got nothing. I've got no answers at all. And that's one of the things I'm looking forward to maybe moving past somewhat after I talk to a professional, (laughs) a therapist, a little bit to sort of organize my thoughts a bit more and get them into perspective. Right now, I'm still sort of consumed by sadness and guilt and i feel like i'm not a good son i feel like i didn't do a good job and i didn't get those cathartic moments and i didn't you know do things the way that i would hope it would be for me at the end you know what i mean um it's it's hard well i think you're being hard on yourself and i think um i can remember a lot of very lovely moments with your mum with your mummy yeah 
No, so can I. She was good fun. Every one of them counts, right? Isn't it sort of about the cumulative journey rather than the the very you know, end? The very end. It's got to be. Well, that's about a big all the stuff that leads up to it, hasn't it? It's got to be about every little. Um, every it definitely little, is little because you know that's a big. I haven't read enough philosophy to know uh, uh, how to tackle the idea of you know if your final moments are hard and sad and unpleasant then does that sort of invalidate the rest of what's happened? And no. it can't do, can it? No. <laughs> Valag can answer I mean, that one. Fisher Valag can answer that one. Nine. Yeah. Nine. But that is mainly because that person lives on and those experiences live on for, for the people that knew them and loved them. You know, so our lives are more than just, they have to be more than just what we personally experience and the pain that we experience or whatever we have to go through or the mistakes that we personally make, you know, versions of us are important and resonant for the people around us. We're all connected and linked in that way. Anyway, that's not a good answer to your question. It was a silly question, but um, it, it seems to me that it'll never be like entirely all right will it no that's the thing i've got a feeling the answer is going to be that you've just got to live with that and you've got to make peace with the fact that you're not going to get your cinematic closure mm. and with that i'm just going to make peace with my son who oh is where now, is she bring him just, on can you hear him what's she doing bring him on to the zoom who is it we've it's nat he's playing the drums we've got a drum kit in the barn that is insensitive. That is pretty insensitive. While I was doing my inspiring, we're all connected speech as well. Bring him in, and I'll tell him. I'll tell him off. Hang on one second. Oh, it's tough to know the right moment to um, fart during a conversation like that. Luckily, uh, it's a good moment. Don't use that. I don't want the public to know that I fart. Sorted. Natty Dread. Is he good at is he good at the drums then? <laughs> Natty Dread. Um he is enthusiastic. He's only recently started um playing. But what he does is that he listens to Spotify on his headphones while he's playing. So he'll play he along the song. Yeah, that's never never good, is it? It's not good cuz he in his headphones he's Omar Hakim because he's blended in. Yeah. Isn't he? He sort of blended into the good stuff. That's like when you sing along with something and then you record yourself. And then you list. Do you ever do that? I only ever did it yeah. once because it always sounds But you so can awful. sing. I not tried really. that and played it back and it's not good. But there were nice moments. Some of the nice things were, you know, apart from the fact that she was with us, and I'm glad she was, even though it was sort of gnarly at the end. I'm glad that she was with us and she liked being there. And the last moment that she was happy that day was when Rosie came in <laughs> and she <laughs> she liked Rosie. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to say that in a non-mad way. <laughs> well, don't worry. No, you don't. You're not going to. She loved Rosie anyway. But she um, Rosie came in and she loved Rosie. And also there was my son, Natty, played Claire de Lune on the piano very nicely and she was impressed with that oh. and it was a beautiful day and she loved she loved the weather how nice the weather had been and um, 
we we were going to watch My Fair Lady, but she said, oh, I've seen it too many times. <laughs> so, you know, I'm glad she was with us. And she had a good time, but she just, she didn't like being old. She just thought, ah, screw this. I've had enough. Mm. When we were in the hospital over the weekend and, you know, you go to the hospital and I always forget, oh, you just wait around in the hospital. Like when we got there and we had to go through the COVID process and, and I wasn't supposed to go in with her to the hospital because of COVID. But I said, look, she's addled and her memory's gone and she's going to need someone to kind of help explain everything to her. So they let me in. And initially I was thinking, well, I just want them to look her over and check her out and then, you know, we'll be back home in an hour and then we'll have some instructions about how to look after her and that'll be that. But, of course, we spent the entire day there and then the entire night. Because everything takes so long. Because everything takes so long, mm. they're overstretched and, mm. you know, blood tests and mm. you've got to wait for the results of the blood mm. test and then there's a scan and you've got to wait for the result of the scan. And mm. in between each process, there's two hours in the waiting room, mm. people coming and going, some people in real bad shape. Was she in a bed or in one of those weird chairs? No, she's in a weird chair. Because they keep moving you around as well. Yeah, a little bit. Shuffle oh. over to this room, shuffle yeah. over to that room. And she wasn't very mobile. And anyway, she just got fed up. She was mm. like, just, just didn't want to do it. And said mm. a couple of times, are we going to go home now? And I was like, no, we've got to wait for the result of the blood. And she go, what? Oh, I just want to be in heaven. I just, well. I want to go to heaven now. <laughs> <laughs> and the nurse laughed and said, well, we all want to go to heaven. But I don't think she got the fact that mum was yeah. saying, uh, yeah, now. I just want to go now. Uh, I was thinking, well, that's a bit presumptuous. You don't know if you're <laughs> and then, And then another guy, like we're in the waiting room and, and one of the ambulance guys came in, a young guy, and asked if he could use the wheelchair that uh, my mum had been using. And I said, yeah, sure. We're finished with it, I think. And then he looked at me and he went, hang on a second. You're very famous, aren't you? <laughs> and it was exactly the moment that I just didn't want to be dealing with anyone mm. else. And so I just went, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and he said, are you sure? I mean, you look like the guy from the Adam and Joe show. And I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> and because, you know, everyone else in the waiting room was just looking over. And I just I just thought, no, I don't I'm not in the mood for this just at the moment. Normally, I'm delighted. But then my mum goes. It is him. He was in the Adam and Joe show. <laughs> and the guy and the, the ambulance guy was nice. He was like, oh, that was a great show. And he said, you do brilliant work, he said to me. <laughs> He's I was right. like, thanks, man. So do you. Your work's more important than his, though. Yeah, there should be people clapping for me every Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, saving lives. Yeah. <laughs> Podcasts. No, Swearing on a podcast. Juvenile podcasts. That's the real heroic work. Someone yeah. got a message through to me the other day um, saying, I like your podcast, but will you please stop using the F word? Ah. There's no need for it. Quite right. This is because, you know, you're getting bigger and your audience is growing beyond sweary types. Right. Into okay. sophisticates. Is the, do you think maybe... 
Maybe. Yeah, it's different criteria. Mm. Anyway, look, how do we transition out of... Let's not talk about transitioning. (laughs) (laughs) This is the other thing as well, you know, is like all this personal sadness is happening against the backdrop of so much suffering for so many reasons at the moment. Not just the pandemic, but Black Lives Matter and civil rights and fierce and passionate debates over trans rights and... Oh my God! It's just—it just feels like a world of pain roiling out there. I have to believe that things have got to start getting better. Is this now putting into perspective why I wasn't quite so delighted as I should have been with uh, Escape at Danamora? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I should have suggested something more upbeat. <laughs> yeah, certainly excusing your inability to come up with funny names for licorice all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> In future, if uh, <laughs> stuff like this happens, just remember your primary function. <laughs> Coming up with funny names. Um, hey, man, I wanted to ask you about your little one. And when I say little one, I'm talking about your child. <laughs> uh, she's really well. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. It's quite hard work, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> she was a good sleeper the last time I spoke she to you. She is though, a good she? sleeper, but it's the bits when she's awake. Right, because she's crawling around now, and she's very, oh, very curious man. about dangerous. That things. is the most exhausting section. Yeah. Jeepers creepers! I mean, she's she's absolutely gorgeous. She's a bit like mint choc chip ice cream, like it's mm-hmm. del- absolutely delicious. And when you don't have any, you see other people with mint choc chip ice cream. I said, like, "Oh, I wish I could have some mint choc chip ice cream," <laughs> but now I've got it all the time. I like I have to eat it all the time. <laughs> Do you know what and I mean? You wouldn't mind. Yeah, it's still delicious. Just... It's absolutely delicious. <laughs> but like all the fucking time with the mint choc chip ice cream. <laughs> but she's really gorgeous. She's she's absolutely beautiful. And she's doing all this very cute, like chatting, they call it. And she's just discovered how to do intonation. So she's starting to say gibberish that has the correct melody to it which is very Mm -hmm. charming yes that is charming but i'm impressed like anyone who's got two or three kids i'm now very impressed by i guess people tend to have them in rapid succession just to get that bit over with right yeah like we're in this mode now of like having to focus on this person all the time let's just let's just commit to this for like six years Mm -hmm. have three and then we can move on. Yes, I suppose. That's but you had one. your third. You had your third. After was a gap. the other two, there was a gap. Yeah. I was happy to stop at two. Oh. And then there was a big conversation, which I lost. Oh. oh. But now You're... I can't imagine having stopped at two. No. The third one was really good. Well, watching a lot of um, CBeebies. Did you watch a lot of CBeebies? Yeah, we watched Tractor Tom. Uh. I mean, we used to get, but yeah, it's different for boys, maybe. Although that's very reductive binary thing to say, <sighs> and I apologise. That's you. Sorry, done. that's such a shame. But in a way, it's a privilege to have been <laughs> here when it happened. Like that was the mo- that was the exact mo- wow. I mean, <laughs> the exact moment I got cancelled, yeah. but. Um, I don't know if it's society's fault or if it's the way we've brought him up or what, 
But for whatever reason, our firstborn, who was a cis male man, really liked videos of farm machinery. Uh. Like he liked Tractor Tom. And then we found out that, you know, he wanted the pure stuff. Tractor Tom was cut with too much rubbish. Mm. He wanted to go to the source. And so we got him some 100% pure tractor action. <laughs> really? And, yeah. For like tractor nutters, like hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. From tractor manufacturers, their sales videos and things like that. Yeah. So we ended up just watching a load of farm machinery well, How stuff. does he feel about that stuff now? He's not into farm machinery anymore. <laughs> isn't he? He's into quite industrial um, dance music, though, isn't he? He does like that. He likes the sound. He could yeah. probably listen to a combine exactly. harvester and it's sample still it. still there. Yeah. Did you... <laughs> so your, how old is your daughter now? 11, 12? She's 11. Yeah, She's 11. 12. So she, she would have been born or been a baby around the time that In the Night Garden started, right? In the Night Garden. Do you remember right. that Yes, I do. Post-Teletubbies weirdness. Yeah. In the Night Garden was bad, though, wasn't it? Well, it's strong stuff. Do you remember it at all? <laughs> no, I don't think I ever w- had to watch that, I'm glad to say. So you don't know who Iggle Piggle is? I do remember Iggle Piggle, yes. What do you remember about Igg- Iggle Piggle? Wasn't Iggle Piggle sort of pink and purple striped? No. Am I thinking of someone else? Daisy. Oh, okay. Iggle Piggle's pretty cool, like a blue cuddly person with a red comfort blanket. Mm-hmm. Iggle Piggle's in the Urban Dictionary. Having an eagle piggle means to have a dilemma of a time, to be stressed out and frustrated. Is that post-night garden? Yeah. You're going through a bit really? of an eagle, eagle piggle right now, I think. I'm going through a massive one. Massive eagle piggle. Massive piggle. Upsy Daisy's the girl with the multicoloured braids and like a pull cord uh, on yeah. her skirt that inflates when she dances. I'm not sure um, that's cool. Macapaca. Ah, uh, you see, that's I don't like that name. Why not? Something, it's too babyish. Macapaca. Well, it's four babies. <laughs> I know, but come on. Is that a fair it accusation? It just sounds like Macapaca. Maybe I've heard Richard Herring talking about Macapaca, really? and I just thought, no, I, I should I'm be talking to Macapaca. Herring about this. Macapaca is like a beige person with an oval head, little piles of rocks <laughs> for ears, and a little pile of rocks on top of his head, lives in a cave, likes collecting and washing stones. I mean, that, you, you did just describe Richard Herring, though. <laughs> Ogpog. Ogpog. What's the deal with Ogpog? Uh, Ogpog is Macapaca's three-wheeled cart. He tra- <laughs> Og- M- Macapaca tra- travels around the garden with Ogpog. And in Ogpog is some soap and a sponge. He washes other characters. And he's got a special trumpet. But don't we all? <laughs> the the Tombaloos. Do, you know do you know the Tombaloos? Do you no. remember the Tombaloos? No, no. Tombaloo. I never watched the whole episode. Tombaloo on Tombaloo. How many times do I have to tell you? Tombaloo. E. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, you see, where I was going with this yeah. was because it's it's sort of nonsense. You're going to like, direct it. Well, now how do you how do you come up with this stuff? Like, I assume that there's some amazing, brilliant pediatrician or some incredible psychologist mm-hmm. who is somehow constructing this stuff. Right, the Ninky Nonk. Mm-hmm. The Ninky Nonk is a train that zooms around the garden. Looks like a big red banana with a big apple on top. Pulls a large green melon with windows. The Ninky Nonk, the Pinky Ponk, is an airship that glides gracefully through the air. No, it's not. The yeah, this is real. The Pinky Ponk is an airship that glides gracefully through the air. It's green with coloured spots, little oars sticking out all over it, and a bulbous pink ball on the front that lights up and makes a farting noise. Are you still talking about the Ninky Nonk? I'm talking about the Pinky Ponk. 
It's oh, the so pinky real. punk. I mean, it really goes on. The Pontypines, the Wattingers, the Hahoos. It's the kind of thing that makes you think it would be easy to make it up. You just say nonsense words. But actually, it's not that easy, is it? Blickety Pock. A 5,000 feet tall but incredibly thin person with a block for a head with prickles on it. When he gets tired, his body goes limp and the prickly block falls to the ground and can seriously hurt you if you're underneath. <laughs> is this your show that you've made up now? Prickly block is very sad when this happens and he cries. But when he yes. cries, he sneezes tumblers and leaks a river of fizzy lemonade and, <laughs> and shits out cakes, which cheers everybody up again. <laughs> I'm just suggesting it as an addition. I think it would be quite easy to sl just slip in a new character. Wait, when did we transition from real night garden stuff to your stuff? The stonky hoot. <laughs> a pink spring shaped like a French horn that boings around the garden and emits a cloud of stench out of one end and inhales it down the other. That's good. You see, because all this stuff is vaguely to do with going to bed. Yeah. So I think the stonky hoot is like when you break wind in bed what was the last night garden name that you mentioned the last real one yeah uh the the hahoos so blickety pock and the stonky hoot are my are my, uh, are my pitches for new characters that's good um okay i'm going to uh my wife is texting me because we had a tense conversation earlier on and now she's being nice but she's texting me at the wrong moment do feel free to go and deal with it or whatever you want hang on Still recording. I don't love you anymore. Anymore. <laughs> I've that. Did you? I did. I was. Yeah. I took my headphones off for a second. What did it say? Still recording. I don't love you anymore. Is that going to go down well? Is will she understand no. that? There's bubbles coming up. Okay, thumbs up. <laughs> That's a healthy relationship we got there. I do love you, actually. Come on, Bubbles. Hear the bubbles. 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 I hate it when the bubbles come up and then they go away. Yeah, that's bad, isn't it? Oh, it's so bad. <coughs> do you know that noise is actually a man? <laughs> a disappointed man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's replied that's okay i'll be all right <laughs> uh, <she's>, yeah <laughs> that's not what i expected um anyway some of the oh i know why i was looking oh Fucking come on hell. your family are ruining this podcast they're ruining this podcast the your drumming, brother on the, the drums texting. your wife divorcing you your mum dying <laughs> No. Sorry, near the knuckle. <laughs> That's what I wanted from Your you. Your family are ruining this podcast. Wait. This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members' area and spend in your shop. 
these are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Continue. What are you drumming along with? Huh? What are you playing along with? Beatles. Which one? Um, that was Mean Mr. Mustard. Mean Mr. Mustard. Yeah. Sounded great. Cool, thanks. Hey, welcome back, podcats. Back out here on the farm tracks behind Castle Buckles. And Rosie's up ahead bouncing. It's now a few days after my trip to the beach. And after a few very sunny days, the weather's shifted again. It's a little less clement. Thanks for the weather check, Buckles. No, that's fine. Joe Cornish was talking to me there, of course. Thanks very much indeed to him. I had to check with him about leaving the fart in, though. I thought he might be a bit worried about it, but he was cool. (laughs) Oh, Sounds like Rosie has spotted a rabbit. By the way, I looked up Dr. Fisher Verlag, and it's not the name of a therapist but a major German publishing house. So that's probably why the name was on a book that Cornballs was reading. As far as my own therapist is concerned, I've had a couple of sessions now, and I'm totally fixed, which is great. (laughs) No, I'm beginning the process of trying to get things into perspective and hopefully getting out of some bad mind habits and uh, cultivating some better ones. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But listen, before I say goodbye today, I'm going to share a few random memories of my mum, just because I'm aware that I've talked about my dad a lot over the years on this podcast and in my book, which was fine by mum. She wasn't yearning for minor celebrity, but I feel bad that the few times I would mention her, in fact, I mentioned her in the last podcast with George the Poet. And I tended to characterise her quite lazily, I think, as a Daily Mail reading Brexiteer. I mean, she was. (laughs) And it made Sunday lunch quite tense on a number of occasions. But, of course, there was a lot more to her than that. In no particular order, random memories. Mum loved drinking booze, especially white wine, but it never made her mean. She would just laugh a lot more. She had the most beautiful handwriting I've ever seen. Generously curved and fun to look at, but elegant and precise. In stark contrast to her physical appearance, which was gaunt, unkempt and spiky. It wasn't, that's a joke. She did look like her handwriting. My parents sent me to boarding school, and for the first few terms there, I was homesick AF. 
We weren't allowed sweets, but Ma would send me exciting parcels of underwear and stationery, inside which she would stash Texan bars, Caramax, and raisin and biscuit Yorkies. Ooh. When I started getting self-conscious about my bad skin in my teens, Mum taught me the value of moisturising, which I still do today, and let me use her makeup to conceal my most active facial volcanoes. Mum shared and encouraged my love of music. And though Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald and Gustav Mahler were her preferred jams, we would listen to Radio 1 in the car and she would enthuse about songs that I really liked as well. Message in a Bottle by The Police, Einstein a Go-Go by Landscape, Ghost Town by The Specials. As I got into David Bowie, I would sit on Mum's bed with her now and then and put a pair of Walkman headphones on her head and play her new discoveries that I was particularly excited about. All the Mad Men. So many different sections. Quicksand. What do you think the words mean? And her favourite, Space Oddity. Is he called Major Tong? The day the stabilisers came off my bike when I must have been about 38? No, younger than that, maybe six. My mum told me a joke. A little boy is riding his bicycle and his mummy is watching him. The boy lets go of the handlebars and yells, look mum, no hands. His mummy replies, be careful darling. Then the boy takes his feet off the pedals and says, look mum, no feet. Just be careful darling, says his mummy. Then the little boy goes flying head over heels off his bike, landing face first on the pavement. But he gets back up, turns round and says, Look, Mum, no teeth. That's the way my mum would say it. She liked doing the whole, Look, Mum, no teeth bit. That would really make her laugh. It's sort of a sick joke, really, if you think about it. But, oh, man, it made my mum laugh. (laughs) So I thought it was funny, too. Unlike my dad, mum liked comedy on TV, and I can hear her very clearly in my mind, laughing at shows that I'd be allowed to stay up and watch in the late 70s, like The Two Ronnies, Some Mothers Do Have Them with Frank Spencer, and It Ain't Half Hot Mum. Yep. A sitcom about a Royal Artillery concert party based in Diolali in India, I found out by looking at Wikipedia, And later the sitcom was set in Burma during the Second World War. That was a programme, you will know if you are a similar age to me, that was made up entirely by what would now quite rightly be considered offensive and hurtful stereotypes and attitudes of every kind. But back then, it was just a bit of racist, homophobic, classist fun. However, I'm glad to say that the bit I remember mum laughing at most was, I don't think, too offensive, maybe a bit insensitive, but it was the character of the intolerant Welsh battery sergeant major, played by Windsor Davis, who is just more or less permanently furious. The character, that is, not Windsor Davis. And if anyone had the temerity to complain to the sergeant major, his reply was always... Oh dear, how sad, never mind. Oh dear, how sad, never mind. He would would say that in various different ways in every programme. And it would always set mum off. And she would hoot, oh, he's so awful. (laughs) 
<laughs> Mom also loved going to the movies, and I have fond memories, some of which I write about in my book, of her taking us to see Star Wars, which she really loved, maybe even more than us, I think. And she got me all the action figures when I begged her for them that we ended up using years later in the Adam and Joe show for our little toy movies. And we saw E.T. And I was freaked out because afterwards she was just crying and crying. (laughs) She was in bits. But the comedy film that made the biggest impression on us both, apart from Airplane, I mean, there were lots, actually. But um, I do remember very clearly watching Monty Python's Life of Brian with Mum. One weekend, we rented it on video. And I have it in my diary, January 1985, when I was 15. And I remember her hooting right the way through, which was very exciting because it was an 18. And uh, it it felt a bit sort of risque to be watching this kind of thing with your mum. And then to find that she liked it so much was just terrific. Uh, uh, She loved the ex-leper, Michael Palin's ex-leper, and Willie Swadwick, she would quote quite a lot. And most of all, though, more than anything, always look on the bright side of life, which was certainly her philosophy. And I remember Dad coming in while we were watching Life of Brian, and uh, at the end, and he didn't, he didn't like it. He shook his head. He didn't think crucifixion was really a laughing matter, which, to be fair, it isn't. But Mum was able to see the bright side. Anyway, parents, family, it's always complicated, whoever you are. But I'm very grateful to have had a mum and a dad that loved me, did the best for me whenever they could. So thanks, mum. Thanks to Seamus and Matt for their help on this episode. Thanks to Joe as well. And uh, thanks to you, podcasts, for tuning in again. And uh, for the next few weeks, I'll put out a few more podcasts before taking a break for the summer because I was going to, you know, do a slightly longer run and then it got interrupted when all this happened a few weeks back. So I wanted to resume for a few more episodes. Um, I don't know, like three or four or thereabouts. And then break for the summer and then start up again in, uh, in the autumn, I suppose. All right, look, I hope you're all doing okay out there and till next time make sure your mum and dad know you love them if you do and if you don't I don't know pretend (laughs) they probably love you but maybe they're just not good at showing it whatever I love you bye